back, it's time for customers who click. This week, I'm speaking with James Gosling, Director of E-commerce at Sports Research. He has successfully scaled several e-commerce businesses, as well as building and managing two top 500 Amazon accounts. Today, he's sharing how. We'll be covering things like automating stock level controls, why it's important to have a presence on all marketplaces, not just the ones that will bring you the most revenue, and how to get customers clicking on your ad whenever they are on those marketplaces. In particular, James will be breaking down the formula for how to be successful on Amazon. Contrary to popular belief, it's not down to luck or some secret sauce. Right, let's get James on now. Hi, James. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just giving a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and kind of how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, so currently I'm director of e-commerce at Sports Research. I've been at Sports Research since the beginning of 2022, but I kind of got my start in e-commerce way back in 2004. My brother started a e-commerce an e-commerce company in their basement, in my parents' basement rather. So it's something I've been around my entire life almost. I was 14 when they started it. They're much older than I am, and have had the benefit of being very close to all the conversations and decision-making and growing a startup in the e-commerce space. Back in 2004, the only real competition was Amazon. And so they focused, they built their business focusing on Amazon being the main competition, which I think did them very well because it allowed them to completely pass uh, anyone else that was in their space, which they were selling in the industrial chemical space. So really interesting kind of upbringing and introduction into an e-commerce career path. I was there for over 10 years working with them. And I left in 2018 to go to Truck Hero, which is a aftermarket pickup truck manufacturer, aftermarket parts and you know, mm-hmm. side steps and things like that. What was interesting about that is Truck Hero is kind of an umbrella company with a lot of brands that have been acquired underneath. So we were launching websites for about 10 brands and getting all of the marketplaces set up for those brands. For automotive aftermarket, eBay is actually one of the strongest channels, probably the only category in which you might have your eBay business be larger than your Amazon business, just because eBay has been set up so much for those hobbyist automotive, you know, tinkerers and things like that and installers. So a very large eBay business across 10 brands and a large Amazon store. And then from there, I went to Nordic Naturals. And that's kind of how I got in the space I am now, which is really focused on supplements, nutraceuticals. And Nordic Naturals is very large in the omega-3 fish oil space. So grew the business at Nordic Naturals. Basically arrived right when the pandemic started and grew that business 5 or 6x over the course of that year, kind of just by focusing on e-commerce principles and and focusing on data-driven decisions and building a team up there. Doing all of that revenue growth with the same team, which is kind of what I'm most proud of is when I came to Nordic Naturals, they had a plan to hire one person a month to try and handle scale. And I grew five or six X without hiring anybody just by using technology and automation. And then ended up taking on the website, was promoted to director of e-commerce there and I was there for about two years and then was approached by Sports Research, which I was very interested in because they are one of the largest Amazon stores out there and very large in the health and household space. Plus, they have a very, very broad product offering. So that's where I've been spending my efforts and talents this year so far. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I we saw, I think, loads of businesses saw some pretty explosive growth through the, the pandemic period. But to, it kind of sounds like you also said, well, we, you know, we're going to get this growth. It's great. We don't need to hire the team. We've got efficiencies we can also make so that we can just do things better ourselves anyway. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from, like I said, just such a long background with the startup and working for a kind of a family business. You have the opportunity to wear a lot of different hats. And one of those hats that I wore there was business intelligence. So I already knew pretty early on, I mean, basically about 2013 is when I started doing building out business intelligence platforms and dashboards and everything to see what some data transparency can bring to every role in an organization. So there's there's a lot that we focused on automating that was a manual task. But I think a lot of that came from focusing on business intelligence, focusing on 
making everybody in an, in an organization a data analyst and kind of spreading that data around because instead of having, you know, maybe me working off of reports that have filtered up or stale Excel sheets or even the reports in, let's say, Amazon Seller Central, for example, I can now be looking at real-time data broken by category, breaking down by scan, not just me, my whole team. <laughs> so they're all looking at the data. They can funnel up those insights and strategies to me to say, hey, maybe we could push harder on the SKU. Hey, we're pushing harder on this SKU. It's not really having results. We can pull back, put that money elsewhere. Hey, we're going to run out of stock. You know, Amazon says we're fine, but we're forecasting that we won't be fine and we need to send some more in. So all of those things that you typically have to be reactive about after the fact and after kind of the pain hits, we can hopefully get ahead of. And kind of another claim to fame is, is using that to automate advertising, which I don't know if we want to go into right now or or just kind of bleed into that, but even even ad automation to use stock levels of SKUs to send out to our advertising management software to pause advertising campaigns, to turn advertising ca- campaigns back on when a product's back in stock, or even on an overstock product to say double down on this and, and push harder and get the flywheel spinning again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the sort of stuff I love, right? It's that being really smart with the data, having those those connections in place so you don't get those mistakes, right? You see lots of lots of websites that advertise products and when you click through, it's not in stock. And you're like, well, yeah. you're just wasting money here. Because also, and I can go on a big rant about this, but if, <laughs> of course. You know, if, if people click through on an, you know, if they see a product in an advert and they click through to it and then they see it's out of stock, it's not just that bit of disappointment that it's out of stock. And they, they don't just go, oh, well, in that case, I'll just go see if something else is available. It's You've suddenly given them a bad impression of your brand, really. The first experience they've had with you is bad. Yeah, why, it, totally. Why would you not want to be fixing that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's so important to have that data be clean, to have your feeds be clean, going out to any PPC channels search engines you know there's a lot of there's a lot of decisions i have to make that are based on revenue and and there's times where i can make those decisions and say hey this isn't really the lowest hanging fruit or you know the juice isn't worth the squeeze here or whatever those phrases are that you want to use there's a lot of other decisions that have to be made on the contrary from a brand perspective you know when we're choosing marketplace channels there's a lot of marketplaces that are just never going to be even a fraction of a percent to amazon uh, or, or what our amazon business is today but we have to be there to represent our brand and not leave that to somebody else that's willing to list their products on those platforms. You know, like we're in discussions with Macy's right now. They're just launching a new marketplace. It's invitation only. I have zero expectations of Macy's being a huge revenue driver for our business, but to have the opportunity to be the first person to post our products on that marketplace is huge. And I can control a consumer's experience with with our brand, and that's that's so important. I mean, that's I, that's kind of as as a brand owner. I don't own our brand, but I'll list myself in that category as a brand owner. That's what I have to worry about all the time because you know, even though my department is just e-commerce, any negative experience with any that anybody has across the entire breadth of where sports research products are sold can come back and affect me. <laughs> so I kind of take ownership over all of it. I have to. I have to try and make sure that that we're making those smart decisions. I love, I mean, the out of stock thing absolutely is one thing. There's, there's so many, what about even just on an e-commerce website, you click through and the page is broken or you can't check out or all of that stuff just has to be buttoned up. Um, I think for to boil down my e-commerce strategy, it's, it's like pushing equally on all these different things that we could do and not pushing too, too hard in one area. On the website, for example, pushing so hard in, in rich features and things like that. That's great to build that stuff out, but everything else better be in alignment. I see so many brands that are trying to do fancy whiz-bang things on their website, and they've let go and lost sight of what MVP is, what those e-commerce principles are of having products that are in stock, of having product that ships fast of having a checkout that's easy and frictionless, of having a search on your site that works, <laughs> like all of that to just create, like you want to reduce as much friction as possible throughout the entire experience. And that's really how you get customers to come back. They get kind of impressed, I think, by the features, the first go around. But what makes them return back and keep clicking is 
is that kind of frictionless experience, making sure that your emails are all sending out how they're supposed to and when they're supposed to. And, you know, I hate being a customer that orders online and I get my package in the mail. And then two days later, I get an email from the company that says it's shipped or it delivered. You know, yeah. it's just like, it, it, it shows me that someone's not paying really, you know, paying attention to those small details. Yeah, you're right. You've got to get, you've got to get the basics in place before you start doing the, well, the fun, the fun stuff. Really, yeah. you know, you've you've got to do some stuff that is essential to keep business running. I actually was working with a, a business not too long ago, and I get a message saying, you know, our conversion rate's really down. What's going on? I'm like, okay, let me look into this. Right, it's, you know, I know, I know it's not our testing. I can see in yeah. the tests, we, you know, we haven't. It's not all our tests that are suddenly losing uh, and massively impacting them. We had to look into it, and it just turned out that their landing page for their summer sale. Pretty much everything on there was out of stock, but they were driving traffic to it. So that's what yeah. that's what had done it. And part of the issue was that no one picked up on that early enough. And part of the issue was that they didn't have enough stock in the yeah. first place. So there's kind of it's almost like both both ends of the the job, I suppose, like both parts of the job were were, were missed. But one thing that I'd like to ask you about is i guess particularly on amazon because i think that's that's a, your biggest channel right so, yes yeah so on amazon and i suppose generally like third party websites how do you get customers clicking like how do you get them to to click onto your product from the listing and to make that purchase decision i think that is a million dollar question right i i you know i when when sports research approached me for the Amazon position, I told them straight up, I said, you know, if you're looking for the guy that knows every dark corner of the Amazon back end and knows, you know, every tool that's out there and and just lives and breathes this stuff and is only ever in Amazon Seller Central and spends his free time in Amazon Seller Central, I said, that's probably not me. Like you probably have the wrong guy. I said, but what I what I do really well is make data-driven decisions. Like I'm going to focus on BI and I have from day one here. And I think it's made us very successful this year in the midst of the economic recession and, you know, Amazon just itself and its own numbers has been up and down all over the board this year. And with inflation, that's been affecting things. So the data drives the decisions. And I, I mean, I think, I think that helps identify a lot of these issues. Man, I, I think the brands that get traction on Amazon are the are the brands that are kind of doing the same thing on Amazon, which is just incrementally improving everything across the board. <laughs> when I, when I came into sports research, they were spending a lot of time promotions, and they were spending almost all their marketing spend on their hero product, which. I wouldn't say is for every company going to be a bad strategy, but what I was seeing is the gap between us and the number one in that hero product category spreading. And so we were spending all that money there, but it just, it wasn't going to result in like a bestseller badge and the, the, you know, the front runner in that category is just getting a lot of steam. So I use that illustration as saying, here's all these different things we can do content, advertising, all of our different products, you know, better images, SEO, all of that. And like, we have to push on all of that equally. We're not going to perfect one area all at once. So we're not going to just get perfect SEO the first go and mm -hmm. only have perfect SEO. And that's, what's going to carry the brand. Now we're going to, we're going to make a step in the right direction on SEO. And then we're going to go make sure we're stepping all these other areas along and we're pushing on everything equally at the same time. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there that'll believe that make you believe that Amazon is, I think luck or, you know, that Amazon's very, you know, there's a secret sauce, but I think Amazon is a formula, just like any other e-commerce channel. So we advertise across our entire catalog pretty equally. And I don't mean equal amounts per product, but the revenue that that product generates in the product catalog, that's its share of advertising spent. So everything gets advertised equally. If things are out of stock, they get turned off to kind of slow things down. So we don't let things run out of stock. We kind of promote across the board. We, unless we're trying to get something to move out of stock, we have been trying to add new content across the board. We've been trying to add new SEO across the board. 
We answer all of our Amazon questions. We try and find and reach out to customers that leave negative reviews. <laughs> you know? When you say when you say SEO, are you talking about like Amazon SEO or Google? Yeah. So I mean, make sure that every product in your catalog has backend search terms and keywords. And make sure that the bullets have keywords. Make sure that maybe your primary keywords are in the title, but you're not wasting space on repeated keywords, at least for the first go around, right? So the first yep. round of SEO is is trying to get that across all of your SKUs. I see kind of in our own catalog, we do really well. I mean, every brand has this where you have your hero products that do really well. There's a lot of products in our catalog that don't do as well. You know, like there are there are C group or D group of products. Um, we also haven't necessarily given those products the best chance to succeed, <laughs> you know, because they don't get as much focus. They're not driving as much revenue. So we don't spend as much time there. I'm trying to make sure we spend time on the entire catalog. And if we're if there's a product we're not going to spend time on, you kind of have to question, you know, is it worth even making that product if we're just not going to spend any effort there at all? But it, it just so, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? If you totally you see, you see this product's not selling well, so you say, well, why put any effort into it if nobody buys it? And then yes. yeah, it, then it kind of becomes a question of, well, if we're saying no one buys it and therefore we're not going to put any effort to it, why are we even producing it? Why not, why not exactly. just cut it? If we're not passionate about it, why do we expect our customers to get passionate about it? Yeah. I, I think what's great about Amazon right now, so I have kind of growing up from the startup world and seeing the shift of the direct-to-consumer business to what it is now of the marketplace model. You know, back in 2004, the marketplace model was not at all what it is today, especially in the industrial chemical space that my brother's business was. There is rarely were there products that you could find on Amazon. And, you know, about five, six years later, a lot of that changed. And so to see Amazon kind of step into categories, try to erase the brand whatsoever and just focus on products and then seeing them open up in private label, which seems very unfair because they're they're not having to make the the risk, take the risk that any of these brands did to get these products and find categories that win. They have all the data, they know exactly what to launch to be successful. That kind of just anger at that model and how well it worked. And then kind of seeing, luckily because of the pressure I think that Amazon's had, seeing them focus a little bit more on brands. So we've had brand registry come out, brand analytics, brand metrics are coming out. The customer customer experience tool that came out this year that we actually worked with Amazon to develop because we were seeing that you know, hey, we, we can only reach out to brand followers and we have millions of customers, you know. How do we how do we maybe proactively why wouldn't Amazon let us reach out to customers that have bought from us more than one time? Obviously, they value us. Can we not reach out to them with a promo code or something like that? Is is this so the le- new, leveraging all those tools? Is this that kind of new email platform they've launched? Yeah, it's super basic. They don't really allow any customization. I mean, you're sending exactly the message that they'll let you send. Um, but where we were maybe generating fifty dollars from a send because it was to our 7,000 followers, we're able to maybe hit a list of 400, 500,000 and maybe see like a $3,000 return. It's not all about the money. We're able to ha- send touch points to these customers. And that's, I think, really the benefit. And maybe they'll come back after the attribution window. But it is very nice to finally be able to maybe reach out to those customers like we would our own website, you know, to yeah. have 10, 20 times the business on Amazon that's happening on our own website but then have 10, 20 times the email list on our own website, you know, shows that there's, there's something missing there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How would you approach kind of getting onto these channels? I guess, particularly, you know, is it, is it Amazon first? Is it eBay first? I'm I'm, I'm going to assume that you wouldn't launch on as much as possible all at the same time. Yeah. So I think, I think the key to launch is, you know, find a good omni-channel tool, something that'll help you list your products on these almost quickly. So some sort of feed manager, channel advisors, which what we use, they're one of the largest, they're also pretty expensive. So, you know, there's, you can search for them. There's a, there's a ton of businesses out there that, that do that, but I would focus on launching one of those first, because that will make launching on these channels a lot easier and quicker and a little bit more manageable. Amazon changes stuff around all the time. So to have a feed manager constantly pushing feeds of what you want to be there out to these channels is, is very helpful. With the exception, I think, of that automotive category. Like if you're an automotive, I'd say 
launch an eBay first. That's just my experience. So take mm. that for what it's worth. But I would absolutely launch on eBay first. Any other category, the largest group of customers on the face of this planet is going to be on Amazon. So I would absolutely launch on that channel first. I asked four marketplaces. I, I would think you'd want some sort of minimum viable product, like MVP website first. You know, I, I've there's a lot of brands that I come across on Amazon that I kind of gut check if these guys are real and like look at their website and see if there's something decent out there. A lot of times I don't see anything or I see a really, really like you could tell the website was thrown together. That sometimes loses the sale for me. So I would say maybe like throw up, a, throw up a website first. You can set up feeds even from your website if you're doing Shopify, which makes it really easy to launch in these channels and then push on Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, and then you just have to stay on top of building out the content. You have to stay on top of customer service. You know, I mean, I think don't, if you have a thousand products, don't launch on these platforms with one person. Like you might end up with negative reviews and things that you can't stay on top of and you'll need to be able to manage the workload. Yeah. And I would launch FBA. You just, (laughs) you have to do FBA. Yeah. It's almost impossible to succeed without FBA these days, I think. Do you want to explain that? In fact, actually, just before you explain that a little bit, just to comment on the website thing. Yeah, I I think with the, I don't know if reputation is the right word, but the the feeling that so many products on Amazon are made quite cheaply in China. And I'm not just saying that Chinese stuff is cheap. It's I think there's also a lot of cheap stuff, like cheap, poor quality stuff. That just gets kind of mass produced in China and thrown onto thrown onto Amazon. So yeah, I think if you if you go and check on that check on that business, maybe even contact them, see what that response is like. And in certain categories as well, you, you kind of question it even more. I, I bought a standing desk; it's what I'm using now, and it was good. I'd say two hundred pounds cheaper than most other electric standing desks that came with the top with the actual desktop as well. Yeah. And so I was a little bit like, okay, yeah, maybe questionable. Don't know how long this is going to last. But I, when I got it, I had to get in touch with the company because it didn't have any instructions with it. And I couldn't find the manual on the website, which was kind of a little red flag for me. They got back to me super quickly. Yeah, responded to my, my emails really quickly. Um, they were oh, really on good. top of it. They sent me what I needed. And I was like, sweet, okay. Yeah, as long as this thing holds up for a year or so i think i'd be happy with that and i'll be looking at coming back to that business to buy again but definitely anything in electric anything in electronics you know you're going to see all those crazy brands and you know you can sometimes have to trust in the reviews or anything like that i think you know especially in the supplement space (laughs) there's so many brands that just pop up and they're I just, you know, it's one thing to buy an electron, you know, something electronic that, you know, is private label or they bought, you know, a lot of 10,000 and are just trying to offload it on Amazon. When people do that with supplements and they're going to actually swallow (laughs) or ingest in their body and they maybe take the risk on a brand that's not established, that's, that's kind of a whole other level of risk, right? You could, there could be something that results from that, that then there's no brand or company to, as a recourse to turn back on. Right. You know, I love working for the companies that I've worked with and I'll throw Nordic Naturals in this, that they stand behind their products and they're very proud of them. And we're not, you know, not just white labeling like, Hey, let me go find, you know, whoever has the cheapest vitamin C tablets and throw them in a bottle and throw our brand on it. You know, like things are specially formulated. So I think especially in some of the health and wellness and then, you know, in beauty and any of those categories on Amazon, it's super important to know what brand you're purchasing. But yeah, to go to go back into FBA. So FBA is fulfillment by Amazon. So it's where you're sending your inventory into Amazon and they are shipping it for you. It is pretty cost effective, I'd say over if you really take into, you know, factor in the labor of shipping e-commerce orders, the cost, especially for a smaller company, and then the just <laughs> the absolute preference that Amazon gives prime offers on their platform, you're just really like, you can maybe expect one tenth of what the business could be if you're doing fulfillment, fulfilled by merchant or merchant fulfilled only. There's really like at least a, almost I'd say like a 10x delta between an FBM run account and what an FBA account could be. The other benefit of FBA is subscriptions, which I think I beg Amazon every time I'm on the phone with them 
and anytime we're in focus groups or anything to help us grow that program because Amazon doesn't even take advantage of it, which is being able to subscribe to products and have them auto ship on whatever schedule the customer wants. And, you know, I've been asking, especially for supplements, some of our supplements are, are large quantities. Like they're, they're like a six month supply and Amazon only has their couple windows of auto ship. So asking for customized auto ship windows asking to send for letting 3P merchants take advantage of a subscribe and save only coupon. Um, we we focus a lot on growing that subscribe and save recurring business. I think it's something that's really helped us continue to grow even through all the craziness of this year versus a lot of other brands that are either flat or in decline. We've grown a lot this year. And I think it's because we always push for subscribe and saves. Um, you know, and, and I think we've talked about this a little bit too. I'm kind of running on another topic, so stop. <laughs> you need me to stop. Um, I do want to make a comment on subscribe and save. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I was just going to say that I, uh, my I, I don't think the subscription experience for a customer is that great on Amazon. It's easy yeah. to get into it. It's easy to you know just say click the subscribe and save button. It says cool, you get five percent off, whatever. But even the I mean, for me, maybe it works really well for other people. If I see, if I've gone to Amazon for that one product I want, which is what I do, because I don't think people really go and just browse Amazon, do they? That much? I don't know. (laughs) I think think you you probably, you've probably got something in mind that you actually want to buy. Anyway, I'll find the product I want to buy. I'll click subscribe and save, get 5% off. But it says if you buy, is it three or five Five. products? Yeah, five products. Five here, five in the US. You get 15% off. The total or whatever it is yeah but i'm it's they don't then make it easy for me to try and find four other products they don't say here are some other subscribe and save products you have bought previously do you want to do you want to resubscribe here are other products people buy so they don't really push that experience but then when you want to manage that subscription i don't think that's particularly easy either yeah i you know, as I mentioned, we've we're we're pretty we're pretty active with Amazon. We've helped Amazon develop a lot of features that are in Seller Central now. And any time that I'm with them, I bring up subscribe and save that I feel like they're not even seeing the vision on subscribe and save. Almost almost like twenty five percent of our revenue right now comes from subscriptions that are already in existence every day. So like twenty five percent of our revenue we don't have to fight for, we don't have to advertise for. It's just there. It's monthly recurring revenue. It's the lifetime value. It's everything that as marketers we're trying to drive towards right there wrapped up in subscriptions. And this is like anytime. So I've, I spoke with the director of 3P Marketplace is just the director at Amazon headquarters. And he kind of didn't even realize this either when I told him that Prime Day, this is such a missed opportunity in my mind because you're focusing on all of your FBA Prime products that Amazon ships and fulfills that pretty much if they're in the right category, they should have subscribe and save on them. And there is no incentive to subscribe on that day. Like we, I, we actually, I, I don't know that anyone else does this, but I put so much importance to subscribe and save. We, we pull from the API subscribe and save data and track them by product over time. It's like, I want to see how subscriptions are growing by a product line. When we launch a new count of a product, how do those subscriptions shift? into the new product, you know, you might see the yeah. other product subscriptions go down and go, what's going on? But if you look at it by the product line, they're actually going up. So I look at all that stuff. And so to see a huge day like Prime Day, where you're going to do five, six X what your normal revenue is, and to see literally like zero net new subscriptions from that day, to actually see maybe numbers go down because people drop their subscription to purchase is a huge miss. I hate it. <laughs> Whereas when our brand does a deal of the day or a top deal, as they're now called, or we've, you know, recently in September, we were on the homepage of Amazon, the top banner slot, we'll get five, six, 7,000 subscriptions that day from that deal. And it's far less than what a prime day would be. You know, on, on a prime day, we should be, yeah. we should be adding across prime day, we should be adding like 30,000 new subscriptions. If, we would be able to, you know, incentivize subscriptions. So I see that as a huge miss. I preach it to, you know, I've, I've posted on about on LinkedIn. I talk to anyone I can at Amazon about it because I'm, 
I'm wanting that data change. I'm wanting kind of what you mentioned with, you know, that's it's hard to track or there's no incentive to really like subscribe to other products. I want to offer, uh, hey, Amazon gives you an extra 5% for five products. I'll give you an extra 5% if three of those products are mine. You know, and here's the products that you could potentially pick. I would love any creative, anything like that around subscriptions because uh, that that's just the dream. I think is subscription businesses. You know, you have huge subscription businesses that have popped up that are focused on that. Holy, you know, your Dollar Shave Clubs and Bite and all these Mm -hmm. companies that are out there. It's kind of this huge, you know. And I think there's a lot of consumers too that have the fatigue of buying everything online. They want to find a brand they really love and they want to just click and not think about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so, I think that yeah. definitely certain products, certain categories where, yeah, people find a product they like and they just want to buy that product and anything yeah. else is either inferior or if for some reason they have to buy a different brand. Let's say if you go down to the supermarket and for some reason they haven't got, they're out of stock of that one brand, that one product that alternative is a is a compromise for you like you might yeah. you might have a need to to buy that product so you have to but it's it's a compromise and it doesn't feel so great so yeah the ability to just subscribe to something that you you know you are always going to want to like consume that product or or use it that's it's, it's just so convenient for, for the person isn't it and from a, a brand point of view yeah you might have to pay you know you i don't know what the fees are with amazon but you you i'm, I'm guessing amazon takes a cut of every single order but on the plus side, yeah, you you determine you, the the discount that you're funding. So whether it be five or ten percent, yeah. So, but your Amazon is still they're just bringing that you that revenue every month, right? So it's yeah. like you're you're paying a bit of an acquisition cost every month essentially, but you know it's there. I'd happily pay it. <laughs> it's so expensive to acquire customers, you know, like the your customer acquisition costs, uh, especially when you have. You know, in our space, <clears throat> I don't know if there's anybody in our space that's as large as we are across all the categories that we are. I just, I, anyone that I look at, I think besides probably Nature's Bounty, I'd say is larger than us, but they have so many products and, and I, we're definitely like pivoted a little bit more premium. So there's that balance there, but so many of the larger companies you think of like Vital Proteins or maybe Nordic Naturals or Physician's Choice in the probiotic space in health and household, they just they put all of their collective power behind one product and it makes it really competitive to try and acquire new customers just based off of regular, normal advertising channels like sponsored products and and even DSP now, even though DSP lets you kind of focus on new to brand acquisition, it just makes it really, really, really competitive. So building that very steady subscription business across all of our products, I think really helps us to weather the future a lot better than those brands will be when they're just in one category. You know, I, I, yeah. Anyways, we have hundreds of thousands of subscriptions and it's a number I look at every single week, every single week I look to see if we're going up or down. So it's, it's really important to, to our business, really important to that health and personal care category, which is, which is one of the largest on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Do you make any attempt to move people to D2C or are you kind of like the subscriber on Amazon? We're going to leave it like there. It's it's working for us. Just leave it. So when you, yeah, when you have a company where most, the majority of revenue is coming from Amazon, I don't touch anything with a 50 foot pole that could potentially put me in the crosshairs of Amazon. So that's more like we're focused on the gray hat and black hat stuff. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody, you know, short term, it might get you ahead a little bit in the grand scheme of things. It's not getting you any closer to these established brands that are playing by the rules, you know. But in terms of I, like, you know, so I, I, I had an example here actually somewhere. I, I got a product. What was it? Oh, it's these these like earbuds I've got in earphones. It came with a little QR code which said "scan me," and when you scan it, I think it was, I think for this one it was the like the product manual basically. They just gave you yeah. a digital product manual. So just kind of using stuff like that where you're not you're not trying to do anything underhand, you're not trying to do some like data capture behind Amazon back, but you're giving people that little brand experience that might encourage them to engage with you on your D2C website instead of through Amazon. So this is this is a question everyone asks me over the years. I have never seen data compelling enough to tell me 
that customers are really, really willing to make the shift from one channel to another. I've seen a lot of very creative campaigns to bring customers from Amazon over to direct to consumer websites. And I just don't think that I've ever seen anything that's actually generates a return. I'll give an example from our own company, right? A, a couple of years ago, the rules were the the rules around getting reviews on Amazon were pretty, I, I guess pretty specific. So there's like it's pretty easy ways around them because they basically said like you can't ask for a review or incentivize for a review. But we had a free bottle program, a sampling program that uh, I mean we gave away a ton of product. Basically, when a customer purchased the product, it would send them to a page. They didn't know their information. They could click on another product. We'd send it to them for free from our own website. We'd add them to our marketing list, and then we would just at the end we would say, "Hey, we sent you the free bottle." And then the next page was, you know, "Hey, would you like would you like to leave a review on Amazon?" So there was nothing incentivizing the review. Like there was nothing saying that we're only going to send you the product if you do the review or anything. It was just in that workflow. We've done away with that as of years ago because Amazon then cracked down on like anything like that that would send a product outside of Amazon. There are a customer outside of Amazon. But when I look back at the data and the money that was spent on that sampling program and probably being maybe one of the most compelling reasons for a customer to perhaps look at our direct-to-consumer website I have not seen anything that shows that that really resulted in anything. Because at the end of the day, these customers that are Amazon's customers are Amazon's customers. And the best you can do is give them touch points with your brand so they recognize your brand. But the only effort I make is to make sure that across channels, we are providing an equal experience. And that's what we're driving to at Sports Research. If you want to buy from our direct channel and get it straight from us, great. If you want to buy through Amazon, great. You're going to find similar prices. You're going to find similar service. You're going to find similar product freshness, similar positive reviews. Like our goal, my goal is to reduce friction. Like that's, that's reduce friction at all costs, right? Like don't try to add friction to bring a customer away from Amazon to another channel because they're probably not going to stick anyways. It's probably going to be a waste of time. It's probably going to frustrate them because there's no real good, clean, easy way to do it. And you're going to end up turning them away. I think even on on, on direct to consumer websites, you know, to, to put a where to buy to say like, hey, you found our brand, you're investigating it. If you want to go buy from Amazon, great. Here's the link. We'll we'll send you a link that'll add it straight to your cart, like the least amount of friction possible. Yeah. So I think that's the best effort a brand can do is just like let's focus on building the brand and getting as many touch points as possible. You know, because we've seen our direct-to-consumer site build as we focus on getting new customers on Amazon. Like anytime with, you know, focusing on Amazon helps us, like we just launched into Costco. Focusing on Amazon helps our Costco business, right? Like, so it's it's that two by four again that I mentioned, it's that pushing on everything all at once. You push in one area, stuff bleeds out the sides. I, I've just, I feel like I've seen that time and time again. You try and push on these channels equally, provide equal experiences, try not to create some sort of way to incentivize them to go to your website over anything else. And I think that's where you build long-term success. You you build a brand that people feel is authentic and they want to continue purchasing from. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, again, it comes down to uh, focus on the customer, right? Focus on what the customer wants. If the customer wants to buy from Amazon, let them buy from Amazon, leave them there. Yeah, that's if where you got them. If they want to buy from you, they'll come to you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, you might, I suppose you do get some people who maybe they come through your website first and go check Amazon, go have a look at you on Amazon. I, you know, it's, there's always loads of products and product reviews there. But ideally, you'd want those people to come back to you. Um, but yeah, you, you're always going to have that group of people who, that, like you said, they're Amazon's customers. They're, they're going to keep buying yeah. from Amazon. Why, why try and change that? And I think the best we can hope is that if somebody is on our website and they see that we're advertising free shipping, fast shipping, satisfaction guarantee, you know, customer service ratings that are huge, and they go to Amazon and the price is the same. Um, I just know from operating Amazon store, I'd much rather buy from the brand where I know it's most, I mean, most likely, right? It could, could just ship straight from Amazon too if I bought it on the website, but maybe it's coming from their website maybe it's a little bit more climate controlled and, and better for that product. And, you know, maybe I, maybe I have a longer return window or whatever than I would at Amazon. You know, I, I, I probably would buy direct from the brand. I, I, 
I personally know how much they give up to sell on Amazon, right? The commissions and things like that. I, I would hope that if you are focusing on an omni-channel brand experience and just building a strong brand, you know, you wouldn't, you don't have to worry too much about what channel the customer purchases from because you just want them to come back to your brand ultimately, not yep. so much that they only come back to your website. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Subscribe and save um, on Amazon. Subscribe on Amazon if you want. Just come back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Keep buying. Keep letting me ship it to you. Yeah, yeah. Little short in time, but one thing I did quickly want to ask you about actually is I think you mentioned Costco and we did speak about it previously. I think you, you mentioned to me how you can kind of use that data from Amazon to help you launch on a, on these other other websites. Could you just give us a, a, a quick kind of insight into that? Yeah, so I'm a big believer that uh, I've I've been a part of companies where the sales strategy was built around such you know built such that it was basically get the sale at all costs, and so you end up wholesaling to a lot of large retailers kind of from a point of weakness where you're trying to convince them to take your products. I, I, you know, especially at a brand like, like I'm at right now, sports research, which I believe to have the best products out there. And the more I research, the more I'm uh, convinced of that. We don't need to, you know, like, for example, right? Like maybe we want to get to target one day. We're not in target right now. So maybe we want to get in target one day rather than going to target and say, Hey, what's it going to take for you to buy our products? What deals do I have to give you? What discounts, whatever. I could also go to Target and say, hey, we have a really good product. And guess what? People buy it all the time on Amazon. Look at all the number one bestsellers we have. Look at the millions of five-star reviews that we have. Look at you know XYZ. Look at our revenue on these products that we're pitching you right now. Do you want a piece of that? <laughs> you know, th- That's kind of how I feel like we can leverage. And if you're doing omni-channel, you can leverage all your sales channels. So basically, instead of saying like, hey, take a chance on us, it's more like, hey, we're, we're guaranteed. So, you know, but if you take our brand, you need to know that we're omni-channel. So we expect math to be upheld, you know, and we're going to be willing to probably turn our back if we have too many problems and, and kind of just starting from a more point of respect. Otherwise you have your Amazon channel being steamrolled by all these other channels. You have products getting suppressed and you end up costing yourself more in lost sales on Amazon than you're even gaining in the wholesale revenue. I've done this. So at Nordic Naturals, we did this going into Target Marketplace. So Target Marketplace, when they first started, they were wanting brands that had large product assortments. We didn't have a ton of product assortments that we were willing to sell into Target initially. So they were kind of drawing a hard line saying, hey, we need 45 product parents or something like that. And we only had like 20. So I told I told one of my managers, all right, grab the revenue year to date on Amazon for all the SKUs that were pitching them. And send it to them and just say, hey, I understand that you need this certain number of product parents. We respect that. Hopefully you contact us in the future. By the way, here's what we're doing on Amazon for these products. And the next email was, hey, I spoke with my supervisor. Well, we're, you know, you guys are good to go. You know, uh, yeah. so, and, and we kind of did the same thing with Target this year. We opened up our Amazon sales. We opened up, you know, all of the reviews. We opened up all the feedback. We opened up the new to brand acquisition of some of these products and that data. And it made the sell super easy, you know? So there's no saying that a, that a company that focuses on direct to consumer also can't be successful in a wholesale setting. In fact, they could probably be more successful. They just better be willing to defend that direct to consumer business. And, you know, even, even with the retailer and an opportunity as large as target, if it's threatening the rest of the business, you know, you need to kind of draw a hard line there and kind of be willing to revert back and, and make those changes. I feel like at Sports Research, we really focus on our consumers and the experience. We focus on the best products, you know, ever. So if there's a retailer that's going to cheapen our product or going to quote disrespect it and drop under map and everything, we're just not going to do business with them. We're very, very, very. We don't have a traditional sales team, so we're super selective about who we sell to, which I really appreciate. Yeah. So yeah, be in control of the process. Right. Don't mm-hmm. don't approach it as right. We've got to be on target. We've got to be on this website, that website, in in these stores. It's yeah. these are the ones we want to be on. How do we make them want us? Like make them feel yeah. like they're missing out if we're not on their on their website. Yeah, and then you know if a, if a customer sees pricing all over the place across all these different retailers, I don't think that sends the right message. It also doesn't send the right message if they go to a website and they see a website that's selling video games and supplements and you're on the homepage, you know, which I've had in the past at Nordic Naturals, you know, where just kind of 
maybe sales were being made flippantly. Um, I, I believe in like very intentional distribution and like very selective growth. I think that's what can like set us up for long-term success. I, I think that's what's gotten sports research to where it is today, which is, you know, at least in the top 50 of all Amazon 3P sellers. Oh, awesome. That's great. Cool. Just before we finish then, just a couple of quick questions. Is there anyone in the kind of e-commerce marketing space or, or any kind of any brands, someone from a brand that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? I've thought about this question a lot. And I, I think one of the one of the people that I most admire just in the business space in general is Davis Smith from Cotopaxi. Cotopaxi is a B Corp. So they're a for good organization. They donate a percentage of their proceeds. I've actually had the opportunity to go to lunch with him. Anytime, anytime I'm around him, I learn something. I really, really love the idea of having a brand that allows you to maybe do business in a non-conventional way. You know, I think it's I think it's amazing what what he's done to help kind of try and push to solve poverty around the world. I think his brand is super strong. You know, I think I think there's a lot that I could probably help him with on the e-commerce side of that brand, but it's it's growing. They're very unique products. Uh, and I just think he's a really, really strong entrepreneur. I think the content that he posts on LinkedIn is really insightful and uplifting. And so I would also encourage anyone to to reach out to to follow him. And I, I think it, I think he's pretty motivating with what he's been able to do, you know, in, in the all the businesses that he started. And he's kind of a serial entrepreneur, a serial investor in small businesses and startups here in Silicon Valley, we call it, or not Silicon Valley, but Silicon Slopes here in Salt Lake. Uh, So I I think, you know, that's just the one that comes top of mind. I think there's a lot of really great marketing influencers out there. I just don't know what I'd ask them at lunch. Yeah, (laughs) Someone told me to say Gary V and I'm like, I think I'd just get yelled at the whole lunch, you know, so I I think he'd be great, you know, but I I don't know exactly what I'd be asking him. (laughs) Yeah, cool. And so finally, uh, any, any tools you'd recommend to listeners? Any any kind of like I guess marketing based tools? You know, I, I I'm gonna go back to business intelligence. If your if your company doesn't have very strong analytics, I think it's an investment worth making. I think there's an ROI there. I don't know necessarily how you make even marketing decisions without a tool like that. So that's kind of the tool that I'll I'll lean on. We use Domo at Sports Research. It's a Salt Lake based company. Um, Anyone needs any advice about where to go with that, definitely reach out to me. I'd be happy to have a, a big data consulting conversation with you even for free. And I think, you know, outside of that, you know, we use Channel Advisor as an omni-channel tool. And we also run our marketing through that for the Amazon channel and some of our other channels. Um, you know, I think and we have a ton we have a ton of vendors, but I, I don't know that there's anything that would be like a secret sauce for somebody. You know, we just we find good vendors, so we try to form long-term partnerships with them. You know, Attentive Attentive has a new email program that I think is pretty interesting, you know, especially with their very strong SMS uh, platform. I think that'd be something to look into if someone's considering new email vendors. I really like a lot of what they've been doing. So I think that's the other one that maybe comes to mind for someone to consider for email if they're shopping around. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think the, the data side is so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm just exploring. That definitely a above things. all. Get some yeah. data, even if it's like get some automated data, so you're saving yourself time from building that reporting, and you get into the insights. Yeah, I mean, this it's just so easy. It's so easy to do something in the business that has impacts elsewhere, and you need to know about that. So I've got yeah. I mean, two clients that I'm looking at at the moment. One has introduced basically a larger version of their product. And it's, you know, they only have pretty much the two products plus some accessories. And that new version is selling really well. But what we need to understand is, is it, is, are these new sales and these new additional sales or is it stealing sales from the smaller, the smaller product? So is that, you know, is, yeah. the, is the money just shifting there or is it additional money? And, and the other one, we did a test around um, kind of promoting bestsellers on the, on the product listing pages. And it did really, really well. We did quite a brand-led experience. So it wasn't just check out the best sellers for this category. It was something from the founder of the business saying, cool, this is why I like these products. You know, they're great. Conversion rate went up, but the average order value shifted a little bit. So now we just need to understand, well, you know, did it shift because we kind of sent people down this little purchase funnel through these best sellers? 
and we've actually reduced the number of products that people have added to their cart because they've gone they've gone through this focus journey instead of their browsing journey that they were normally doing. Yeah, and unfortunately with the data, Amazon doesn't tell you everything and they hide a lot yeah. from you. They used to used to be able to determine who the customer was based on their email. And when you pull in all the data through the API, you could separate out that kind of customer ID and track their journey. They've really made that difficult now. So we're, we're trying to push them to at least give us some sort of customer ID. But I'll give one example of kind of what you said about the, the account. As I mentioned, when it came to sports research, almost all the advertising marketing effort was being put behind one SKU on Amazon. We spread that out across the entire product catalog. And what they found was, I mean, obviously, I think when you do that, when you're not spending so much money behind one product, there is some sort of plateau or maybe even a decline. For us, it really was kind of a plateau, fortunately. But they were seeing subscriptions falling on that product. They're like, hey, we're looking at this one pound product and its subscriptions are falling. And as I mentioned, you know, looking at the whole product family, we looked at the larger size, which is a two pound and more customers are starting to buy the two pound and subscriptions were growing abnormally relative to everything else on the two pound and then falling on the one pound. So you ended up with, you know, when you're pushing these products equally, you ended up with products, you know, customers shifting from the one pound to the two pound. And there's no real reason to say that that's a hundred percent the case of what's happened because, you know, we just, we can't get down to that customer day. We can't see who's actually subscribed specifically, but you know, that's probably the best guess at why that's occurring. And, and we've seen that a lot, you know, when we, we change our variations around a lot. I think variations are a great way, especially with Amazon combining all that sales ranking into one to get really close to a bestseller in a category. We've seen, we merge products together we see that shift in maybe less of that hero product being purchased and more of the other. And so data helps visualize that. I mean, you can get to that from the Amazon reporting, but you know, I think that the Amazon consumer is a savvy one. They're going to shop around. They're going to make intelligent decisions on what they're purchasing. So yeah. yeah. Like I said, anybody has questions about data, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk about it. Awesome. Well, speaking of which, how, how, should someone reach out to you? What's the best way of contacting you? So yeah, you can reach out to me at it's jfgosling at gmail.com. Hopefully maybe Will can post it. <laughs> yeah, it'll JF Gosling. Yeah. Okay. jfgosling at gmail.com is the best way to, way to reach me. And you can find me on LinkedIn, jgosling, LinkedIn, whatever. jgosling's a username, but James Gosling there on LinkedIn at Sports Research. So send me a message there, connect. And yeah, I would love to, would love to have a conversation for sure. Awesome. All right. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much, James. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Loads of practical advice there from James. If you've been thinking about getting onto Amazon, uh, then that was your sign. James credits a lot of his success down to making data-driven decisions rather than knowing platforms inside out. And also remember that there are some great omni-channel tools out there uh, that can help you get onto new platforms more efficiently and help you also keep up to date with all the changes that these platforms can frequently make. Finally, some important information on the balance between providing plenty of touch points with your brand, while at the same time respecting that Amazon's customers are Amazon's customers. To hear more from James, you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next week, I've got Andrew Walgmuth on the show. We'll be discussing uh, the bespoke high-touch customer process he's developed at Wove Made. But until then, let's keep those customers clicking.